Well, I raise a hallelujah. All right, it's good to see you here as we continue our study of shadows of Christ found throughout the Old Testament. I want to just bring up a quick reminder to you that uh, the Israelites had been in oppression and bondage in Egypt, you remember. Uh, after the death of Moses, the Pharaoh saw how large they were becoming as a people and put them in slavery, if you would, and had a tight hold on them. You remember Moses was called by God to be the one who would lead them out of that bondage into freedom back to the land that had been promised to their forefathers and especially to Abraham as one. And, and they knew of that land. They longed for it. Matter of fact, Joseph had told them, if, if I remember, I mentioned to you that he wanted their, his own bones to be carried with them when they left that place of bondage or left that place of Egypt to carry his bones and plant them there in the homeland. And so the time came, of course, they were led out of that. Uh, they were the land that had been promised to the descendants of Abraham. Of course, you'll remember when they reached the border of that land uh, after escaping Egypt and traveling across that desert, they got to the border of the land and Moses sent in some spies, and the spies came back with a report, and only Joshua and Caleb gave a positive report that God will deliver the land to us. Let's go in and take the land flowing with milk and honey. But they listened to other spies who were negative in their approach and on their understanding and said the land was filled with uh, warriors and people larger than them and so many more people than them, and they could not hardly stand up against them and you remember they refused to go into the land and God allowed them to wander in the desert for 40 years until every adult aged person of the Israelites had passed away and uh, Moses died and you remember Joshua was on the scene and with Caleb, you remember, was appointed to be his helper and lead them finally into the land of plenty. Joshua finished his God-appointed role, gave his farewell address, as we discussed a couple of Sundays ago, and you remember our study of him giving them some monumental reminders of God's provisions, God's promises, and God's blessings for them, and those promises would be fulfilled and encourage the people to always serve the Lord. Of course, as they had with Moses, they agreed. Of course, they spoke back in one accord, in one voice, we will do it, we will agree to serve the Lord faithfully. Afterwards, soon afterwards, Joshua died. Then comes the book of Judges, where we find ourselves this morning. Judges covers a period of time between the death of Joshua and the reign of their king, first king Saul. It was during this time that they forget about God. It was during this time that they failed to worship him and they started worshiping and serving the pagan gods of Canaan. 
We learn this in Judges chapter 2, reading together verses 10 and then 12. You follow on the printed page, Judges chapter 2, verse 10. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Now let me just pause there. Can you imagine being a part of the nation of Israel, having experienced all that these folks had experienced and not having placed that in the heart of your children? I believe God had instructed them to do that, to tell your children in the morning and the evening when they lay down at night to go to bed. You remind them of who he is. Tell them of his mercy. Tell them of his blessings. Tell them about our wonderful God. But somehow they had dropped even that. And when that generation that was there when Joshua passed away and made this promise had all passed away, another generation rose up and they forgot or chose not to remember or did not know what God had done for them. And then in verse 12 it says, And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. During this time, God still being sovereign God, God still being who he is with all of his attributes and all of his characteristics and his character, remembered them still. He provided for them appointed judges. Now today we talk about a judge as someone who listens to a case and pronounces sentence to the one found guilty or releases the one who is found innocent. But the judges served a little bit different way to the people of Israel. There were 10 of them, I believe. Of course, it included Gideon and Samson. And uh, Deborah was a woman who was a judge. And during this time, he gave them these judges. Look at chapter 2, verse 18, it says, And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. In other words, they would forget about God. They would forget the previous judge's work and how God had met their needs and delivered them and would lead them to victory and set them on the right course again. And that judge would have passed from the scene and they would go back the same way they had done before generation after generation. For nearly 300 years, this went on. And over and over again, God would appoint a judge to come and lead them and give them the victory and cause them to, to give their commitment once again to serve the Lord, the God, with all of their hearts and to follow him and obey him and to worship him faithfully. As we read this, we can see a picture, I think, of where we are today, especially 
in America. We live in a very difficult time spiritually, do we not? As a matter of fact, listen to the very last statement of the book of Judges and see if it isn't a telltale of where we are today. The very last statement found in Judges 21 and the last part of verse 25. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Is that not a revealing statement about where we are in America today? That everyone just does what he thinks is right in his own eyes, what she thinks is right in her own eyes, and now what used to be hidden and, and never would be spoken or done out in public parades the streets and we applaud it as though everything is hunky-dory and great. And we see ourselves pictured in the life of the nation Israel as everyone doing what is right seemingly in their own eyes. And we find ourselves in the same mess that Israel found themselves in over and over again. Where we are is so foreign from what the Word of God teaches us where we ought to be. The story of Judges is a repeated story of turning from God, followed by God's judgment, after which God would appoint a judge better understood as a deliverer for the people, then would come repentance, and then restoration. The sad thing is that the pattern would be repeated over and over time and time again. Their promise of faithfulness never was followed with obedience. And so goes the book of Judges, all 21 chapters of the book. The same story, time and time and time again. Let me ask you, is this a picture of your life? Is it a picture of who you are as a professing Christian? That you make this commitment to the Lord, you, you, you mess up and you get to a place of, of conviction and God's drawing you to repentance and you, you cry out to him, you say, oh God, I've blown it again and, and, and we're all guilty of that. And I've blown it again, I've, I've fallen into the sin, I've made this mistake, I've done this. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. I turn back to you. I embrace you with all that I am, with my entire being, my heart, my mind, my soul. I embrace you as the Lord God of my life, and I commit myself to you afresh. And then we find as soon as we turn around good, we're back in the same condition of unfaithfulness and sinfulness in our own lives. It's a picture of the human race. But it's also very much more so the picture of the Christian church, of, of the people of God. And we are no better off most of the time than the Israelites were when they were turned from God and find themselves in the mess that they were in. Can I tell you, and this is just sort of a side word that does not have a whole lot to do with the message, we can find ourselves in this book as the people of God, responsible for the condition of the nation in which we live. 
God has said, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and do what? Heal their land. Therein lies the situation of our own beloved country. It is the responsibility of the people of God to seek him, to love him, to turn to him, and to follow him in obedience so that he can do a work of forgiveness in our own lives and that he can bring about restoration in our own nation. I really believe that. I really trust that. And I'm telling you, if there's ever been a time when the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of the denomination that you may belong to, where the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of, of other things going on and activities in your life, if we would get to where we ought to be as the praying people of God in repentance and seeking His will and seeking His power and His restoration, I really believe God would do a work in our midst like we read about in the Word of God that he would do it in our lives. But I want to tell you that the book of Judges is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at the Judges, it is a picture of the love and the work of God through his son who was sent. It is a picture of his grace it is a picture of his finished work on the cross and the surety of our salvation in none other but him. It is a beautiful picture of Jesus. Here is grace plainly shadowed in the, on the pages of this Old Testament book as our faithful judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel may have forgotten God, but God never forgot Israel. Let me say that again. Israel may have forgotten her God, but God never forgot Israel. And so you are, and the church is today. There may be times when we go through times where we forget who we are in Christ Jesus. We forget to do what he has called us to do. We forget to walk in faithfulness. But I want you to know, God has never forgotten his church. And he has never forgotten a one of the members of his church, not one member of his family. He knows all about us. The Bible says, Jesus said, he even knows the number of the hair of our head. He knows everything about us, and he has never forgotten a one. And he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you always. And he's given us some promises that in the end, he will take his bride, the church, home with him and we will spend that time with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus promised us that he would never fail us. He would never leave us nor forsake us. The same promise that God made to the nation Israel, and he never forsook them. He never turned his back on them. He never would not restore them. He loves us. He cares about us. You see, the role of these God-appointed judges are shadows 
of the judge who was to come and now has come, the Lord Jesus himself. You see, he is the one who calls us to repentance. He is the one who came and went to the cross and died for our sins and calls for anyone who would repent and come and trust in him, and he calls us to repentance, paid for our forgiveness and the one who leads us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, Jesus does a work in our lives day in and day out. He wants us to walk with him. And he is here as judge, yes, as the one who leads the church, as the one who cares for the church, who the one who restores the people of God time after time. But I want you to notice another picture of Jesus in his future role as the righteous judge. As believers, we will stand before Jesus in judgment. It is called the judgment seat of Christ. Now, when we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, I want to draw a picture for you to help you understand. It is not a judgment of our sin or our sins. That judgment took place where? On the cross. It took place at Calvary. That he became sin for us. He died for our sins on the cross of Calvary. And we do not bear it anymore. It has been taken away from us. We have been forgiven of our sins. And when the Father looks at us, he sees us through the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness and his holiness and purity. And we live forgiven absolutely. Though we fail, though we sin, though we turn our, our, a different way that he would have us to go, there's always forgiveness available. And he will judge us on that day, not for our sins, they have forgiven. I love that. I've quoted the last verse of it as well over and over again. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. And so we have that promise as we stand before him as the righteous judge. We stand before him as joint heirs with Jesus already. That's not going to happen then. We are already joint heirs with Jesus. We're already the children of God and we'll stand before him as a righteous judge to be judged according to our service, our works, our faithfulness. And he will reward us openly for those things that we've done in following him in our faithfulness and our service to him, and even those times when we come back to him and say, Lord, I have wayward, I have, I've been unfaithful, I've been untrue, I ask for your forgiveness, I ask to be restored, I, I give you my sin, I confess my sin, I repent of my sin, I turn from it, other words, and I repent, I turn from it, and I turn back to you as the, my Lord and Savior it says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness according to 1 John. Aren't you thankful for that truth? 
But we will stand before him as the righteous judge. The, at the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for our lives some, since the day that we were saved, from the day when we were born again. And he will, as I said, reward us openly. Most of the things that will be re rewarded that day, as you study the word, I'll just throw this in there in the sandwich just sort of sideways. As you study the word, most of the things that will be rewarded will be the things that are done in secret service. The things we didn't do to get attention for ourselves. The things that we did out of the love for the Savior and the care and love for others. The things that we did that nobody else may know about. The, the offerings that we gave that we didn't parade and no one else may know about it. The time that we were a ministry to someone else in their time of difficulties, in their time of, of, of going through something awful in their lives, or maybe even the time of going through grief. And we were there. Maybe it was just a cake that we baked. Certainly not me baking a cake. But maybe it's just a cake that you baked or, or a phone call that you made or a visit that you made or a prayer that you prayed with that individual. But you did it unto them and God will reward you openly for that. It's going to be a time of embarrassment. The Bible said there will be those that everything they've ever worked and done will be as wood, hay, and stubble. It'll be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ and the fire of the judgment and they'll have nothing except salvation alone to stand before the righteous judge and enter into the eternal kingdom. I don't want to be that kind of Christian to you. I don't want to be that kind of child of God. I don't want to be that kind of saved person that is at the judgment seat of Christ. And if I could use this very loosely and be in that number by the skin of my teeth, just because of, of having prayed that prayer at one time, not just saying some words, but I mean giving my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to be the one to stand there that has nothing since that day of receiving him as Lord and Savior and openly confessing him and following him in believer's baptism and being a member of the local church and attending. I don't want to be the one to stand there, nothing in my hand. Nothing in my life to, to, to be openly recognized and rewarded for. Not because I want a reward. It's because I want to be found faithful. This week I had the privilege of praying the open prayer for the State of Alabama Ethics Commission. It was uh, a little unusual for me to be around the politicians and to be in that that place but I had the privilege of doing that and I'm very thankful for that I had the privilege in days past of teaching a Bible study in the governor's office and on several occasions but this has been a long time since I've been to the state capitol buildings for anything and in the offices but before I prayed I realized that ethics commission they have an awesome responsibility better look at the lives of the politicians in our states and those who hold office. And they're to examine them upon times of charges are brought. And they're to try to get to the bottom of it and understand the truth 
and they're to make application of the laws of this state, and, and they're to correct those things, and sometimes they decommission those folks that are in public office. But I quoted a song as before I prayed. I, I don't usually do that in that kind of a setting, but I thought it was appropriate when I considered what Steve Kelly wrote, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fires of our devotion light their way. May the, may the way that we live cause them to believe. And may the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. That couldn't be said for the Israelites. For their posterity could not say, our mom and daddies were faithful. Our grandparents were faithful. My nation has been faithful to the Lord. All of these years. But isn't that something to pray? Isn't that something to sing and be the dictates of our heart? That may all who come behind us find us faithful. But let me tell you something more important than what he writes in that song. May, who's, may he whom I stand before find me faithful. May the Lord, the righteous judge, Find me faithful. Now there is no condemnation for the Christian, but rather he is the one who paid our sentence and now walks with us through this life with an uncompromising love for us that will never condemn the believer, but as our righteous judge will reward us for our faithfulness in following him his blood has covered our sins and he will present us faultless to the father i want to read to you a passage in the book of jude it's only one chapter but the final two verses says this now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling or falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Now unto him who is able to present you faultless. Present us faultless. Do you hear that? Regardless of your failures, regardless of your sins, regardless of times of disobedience and the times of your waywardness as a child of God since the time that you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is, he is able but you know, he opens up that little doxology at the end of Jude 
that he is able to keep you from falling. Oh, how many times do we have to look back and say, oh, he was able. He was able to keep me from falling. He was able to keep me from, from committing that act that I committed. He is able to have kept me on the straight and narrow. He is able to lovingly lead me into righteousness and holiness of life. He is able to keep you from falling. But even in all of his ability, he will present us faultless before the Father. Oh, what a righteous judge. Oh, what a holy God. Oh, what a faithful Savior in our lives. He not only can keep you from falling, but even though you fall, listen to me, even though you fall from time to time, he is able to present you faultless before the Father with no sin whatsoever, no failure whatsoever. He is able because he is our righteous judge. I want to say one more thing and I'll be through. There is a judgment of sin. It's called the great white throne judgment. It is where those who have never received God's offer of forgiveness and life through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ will be judged for their sins and by being judged for their sins, it will determine the degree of hell they will suffer for an eternity. It will be according to their deeds. Now look at the contrast. We'll stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, and we'll not be judged for our failures, for our deeds, for our mistakes, for our sins. We'll be judged for our faithfulness and rewarded accordingly. But those who stand before the great white throne judgment, who do not have this wonderful judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, standing there in their behalf, they'll stand there and all of their sin will be judged. Every deed they've ever done that is contrary to the perfect will of God, everything they've ever committed will be brought up and, re and all of those things will be brought together and God will determine according to the severity of their disobedience and their sin, the degree of hell that they will spend an eternity suffering forever. Oh, what a difference. Oh, what a contrast. Makes me want to sing the old chorus, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as I travel this side, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. You see, family makes a difference. God's family makes a difference. If you belong to the family of God, your promise is your righteous judge has paid the penalty for your sin, and he will present you faultless. To the Father, and then even rewards you for the things you've done for His glory. But at the great white throne judgment, one after another, they will be cast in the lake of fire, all because 
they rejected and neglected the offer and opportunity to be forgiven. My question to you this morning, my question to you this morning, which judgment will you stand? What judgment will you be in? Will it be the judgment seat of Christ because your sins have been paid for and you've received that free pardon of sin and everlasting life and you're a part of God's wonderful family, joint heir with Christ Jesus, and he will not lose a one of his own? Will you stand there for that day of judgment? Will you be there for the wonderful marriage supper of the Lamb and Jesus himself will gird himself in service? Will you be there for that wonderful celebration of being home with him forever? Or will you be at the other judgment? Will you stand before him and give an account of every wrong, everything you've ever said, thought, even imagined, will be brought to light, and God will pass sentence of I never knew you. Depart from me. You are a worker of iniquity and cast forever, forever into the place called Gehenna, hell. That's not pleasant. No preacher in his right mind ever wants to bring that subject up. There's no preacher, even a child of God, who would ever gloat over the fact that those who are unsaved will spend an eternity separated from us and from the Savior, and from the Father for eternity in a place of torments and suffering forever and ever. Nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants that to happen to anybody. But the reality is, you'll stand before God in one of two judgments. Where will you be? If you can't say with certainty and assurance today that I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I know I'm forgiven. I know my name is in the Lamb's book of life. I know I have a home in heaven. I know God is my Father, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. If you cannot say that, can I tell you, you sit in danger this morning of facing the great white throne judgment and forever be separated from a loving God and a passionate Savior. Where will you be? You can change destinies this morning. You can trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You can trust in God's love for you and his desire that Nobody would perish, but all would come to repentance. You can count on his promise that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can count on the promise of Jesus when he said that whoever will believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You can make that commitment this morning. In just a minute, we're going to stand and sing Maybe you're at home today listening, and as you've heard this message, God has spoken to your heart. 
And you know he's calling you to repentance. Would you trust him today? Right where you, where you are, would you bow your head and pray this prayer? Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that my life has not been pleasing to you. And Lord Jesus, I turn from that. For I understand you died on the cross and died for my sins so that I could have forgiveness. And right now, I believe that and I believe on you. And I ask you to come into my life, into my heart, and to be my Savior. Have your way this morning. Come right now and save me. Thank you, Jesus, that you said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And right now, I can call on you. Lord God, I lift those to you that you have spoken to this morning, that you would draw them to you, that you would receive them, and they would follow through with an open commitment of their life to you as Lord and Savior. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.